love to help and that's a fact So we have made it our mission to find stuff out From diagnosis and education Stimming out of your frustration Chat to folks who've been there too Collect it together and share it with you If you know someone we should speak to Send them our way and that's what we'll do We like to have our sensory natters You know what? Hello everyone, it's Jenny here with another Sensory Matters show and today I'm joined by Lorraine and Katie. Morning ladies. Morning. Hi. Hi. And we are going to be talking about our usual stuff of what we've seen in the news, what are our Sensory Matters and also having a bit of a chat around Saffron's podcast which came out last week and anything that we took away from that. So let's start with... Uh, what have we seen in the news this week that is crazy or interesting? It's got to be the DVLA. Has to be. <laughs> yeah, that was uh, quite something, wasn't it? Yeah. God, it was crazy, crazy in the community for about 48 hours and, and all for nothing now. <laughs> yeah, a quick I know, reversal. Retracted it. But what on earth were they thinking? So the background, Lorraine, do you want to explain the background of how this came about? Yeah, so previously, if you are autistic you had to tell the DVLA if it affected your driving and then they've redone it and decided that everybody who is autistic has to declare that that they are autistic to the DVLA so the autistic community was up in arms and quite rightly so at the end of the day if you've passed a driving test you've passed a driving test yeah yeah so went up in arms and then quickly retracted about how quickly did they retract it I think it was like a couple of days. It was about 48 hours, I think. It was very Um, quickly. So it's now back to if if it affects your driving, you have to let them know. If it doesn't affect your driving, then you're fine. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, it's a tricky one because I was sort of in the position of um, I could see all of this worrying and anxiety in the community, but I'd already declared mine because when I started to learn to drive back in like 2015, I was like, their website was so confusing. I was like, it's such a blurred line of does it affect your driving? It may affect your driving if it affects your driving. And I was like, I I, I don't know. I haven't started learning to drive. I don't know if it will affect my driving. So I just did it to cover myself. So um, I was able to kind of um, share my experience and uh, and tell people what the process was, which hopefully uh, did help some people to feel a little bit less anxious about the whole thing. But um, yeah, it was a, it was quite a quite a scare over the over, I think it was over the weekend as well. Yeah. yeah. So if we put ourselves in the DVLA shoes, what were they thinking? What do you think they were thinking? Well, in my opinion, I do feel like a lot of people were saying, "Oh, if you've passed your driving test, you've passed your test," and I see that you know that is definitely. You know, if you pass your tests, you are roadworthy and you should be able to to drive without any problems. But I just think the DVLA have to risk assess these things um, mm-hmm. because there are certain conditions. You know, autism is just one condition that was on that website of it was hundreds and hundreds. Yeah, that's the thing. It wasn't, it wasn't actually directed at autistic people. There was lots of different conditions that had to be declared. And yeah. I think right. it was just that the autistic community is it a large community. I was quite offended by it. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I just think, you know, those those types of conditions that could affect your driving every now and again, the DVLA just have to kind of cover themselves and think, okay, well, can you effectively risk assess yourself? You know, a lot of people Mm -hmm. with autism, 
they do their driving is affected but they can sit back and they can think okay i'm not safe to drive today they can personally yeah. risk assess themselves uh because we have that uh, that self-awareness of being able to know when we're anxious or when our executive function isn't very good but some people and some conditions don't have that um yeah. it could cause blackouts or um yeah. you know fatigue yeah, no or anything like that yeah. yeah. So I think they just have to make sure that people not only are safe to drive, but um, can risk assess themselves and think, oh, actually, if I'm not safe to drive, I won't get in the car, which some people aren't able to do, unfortunately. So I do yeah. feel like yeah. passing a test and getting that risk assessment done is a really brilliant way to make sure that you are a safe and uh, and competent driver. And are yeah, there think- any tools out there for people to know how to risk assess themselves for driving? Do they Do they just say... You need to declare whether you you could have a, a challenge driving or do they provide the tools to go? These are the sorts of things you need to consider to help people make that judgment. No, they, I don't think they even do that. Completely down to you. See, I, I got quite offended by it because obviously I'm waiting to be assessed. And I was like, right. So if I get diagnosed, I then have to tell the DVLA. But I've been driving for 20 years. I did advanced driving courses in the army. I'm, I'm a pretty good driver. And I just personally was like, well, this is wrong because it's just like saying would you would you drive the morning after drinking yeah like if I've been out drinking I wouldn't drive the next morning because I'm not safe to drive yeah and it's just a personal thing that if any given day I don't feel safe to drive I wouldn't drive Mm. I think it it did feel a little bit like a slap in the face, like, oh, uh, you clearly can't decide this for yourself, so we're going to decide it for you. And I think that's why people did get a bit upset, because a lot of people who are on the spectrum have that self-awareness and are very, and like Lorraine, have been driving for years and years and years and understand what's safe and what isn't. Um, So I think the the actual percentage of people who... um, would have actually maybe come back and not been safe to drive after the DVLA assessed them is so minute that they probably thought this isn't this isn't worth it anymore. Yeah, and I think the fallout from changing the criteria that everybody had to declare that they were autistic, there was people saying, well, I'm not going to go for my diagnosis anymore. I don't want this on my driving record. Mm. And I thought, well, that's, that's such a shame. Thing, what does it do? Having it on the driving record, what, what would that affect? So let's imagine you stick it on your driving record and you do have an accident. What does that actually mean, having that information? And is that accident as a result of the autistic traits and not an accurate risk assessment on yourself? Or is it just an accident that happened that would have happened to anyone? And does it affect insurance? Yeah, that's the thing. That's what worries me. Yeah, a lot of people were getting very, very concerned. I saw a lot of people saying, I don't want this on my license. And I was saying, look, you know, I've declared mine. Um, it's nowhere on my license for the world to see. Um, so if I did get pulled over or if um, anyone like dropped my license or if I'm showing it for ID purposes and no one can see that I'm autistic. Um, and yes, people were saying, oh, this is going to affect my insurance. And again, that's another thing um, that it's sort of people were making you're getting very scared and sort of jumping to conclusions and being like, oh, I don't want yeah. this, I don't want this. And and that's why, because the information was so poorly communicated, but actually yeah. it, it's illegal for uh, insurance companies to put up their premiums uh, for disabled drivers. So hopefully that was reassuring people when if they were scared about that. Yeah. Um, the good news is about all of this is that they retracted it very quickly. Um, what What did that retraction look like? How did they put that across? I think it was a formal statement. I saw it on Twitter. Yeah, I saw it on Twitter as well. What what reason did they give for retracting it? I don't think they even really gave a no, reason. They they apologised, um, right. and that yeah, and just basically said that 
it was back to what it was before. If it affects your driving, then inform us. But do you know what? I think it's good in a way that it's happened because I wasn't aware of all of the things on the list that you have to declare to the DVLA. Yeah. So depression, I had no idea you had to tell the DVLA if you suffer with depression. Right. There's um, lots of things on there that people would not have thought. I think I think I saw that maybe having a cesarean. Yeah, but a cesarean I, what was on there. I've, yeah, I've had two cesareans and I knew that. Yeah, so yeah. I, I, yeah, and you're not allowed to drive for six weeks after a cesarean. Mm. And I think that's why it touched the community so strongly because I honestly feel like probably over fifty percent of our community didn't even know that autism was a listed condition on on that website for years and yeah. years and years and years and years. It's been on there for ages, yeah. um, so it really should have been on people's radar. But because it's so poorly communicated and the DVLA don't make us aware of these things, um, it did come as quite a shock to a lot of people. Yeah. So the positive out of it is they've retracted it. It's no longer required, but you can self-declare if you like. And if nothing else, hopefully it's made people stop and think about their driving and whether they need to risk assess and and make that judgment themselves, regardless of conditions. So perhaps there is some positive out of it in that sense. Definitely. Because it got me thinking that a lot of autistic people pay a lot of attention to detail and they're quite a, there's quite a lot of perfectionists out there. So a lot of autistic drivers are probably better drivers than other people. Mm. Yeah. I definitely think we follow the rules a little bit more uh, more closely. You know? Yeah. Because yeah. I remember when I went for my test, I wanted to pass without any minor faults. I wanted a complete yeah. clean sheet. Yeah. Uh-huh. And did you do it? I got two minors. Oh, <laughs> never mind. I think I got two on mine as well. <laughs> <laughs> and did you pass first time Katie yes but I learned in an automatic so right. um, and that's something that I always recommend for people who uh, if you're listening out there and you're thinking oh I can't learn to drive or uh, if you're really really intimidated by it um, if you haven't already looked into learning into an automatic learning in an automatic it's it's really life-changing and, and can change yeah. your whole perspective on driving um so but yeah how restricts you does it to only driving an automatic it does yes but yeah. uh I don't think that's a huge restriction for me. Um, it's, my family cars have pretty much always been automatics um, and right. it's not like they're really, really rare. You can get them very easily now. And I think that's probably the direction that things are going in. I wouldn't be surprised if uh, in all 10 years' time up. we're all yeah. driving automatics. Yeah, that like never even crossed... America, isn't it? Yeah. It yeah. never even crossed my mind about driving an automatic car. That's... Yeah. It's like a life hack. <laughs> it is. People don't think. I never th- thought of it. I started learning in, in a manual and then my mum said, oh, well, you know, why don't you try learning in automatic? And I was like, what? This is a thing? You know? <laughs> um, and it did. It, it changed my life. And, and that's really, I owe that to me being able to drive. I quite like going up and down through the gears. Makes me feel cool in a weird way. <laughs> yeah, um, it makes people feel a bit more in control, like they're actually driving the car. Um, yeah. I can totally see why people really prefer a manual. but wasn't for me I do like them them. but the other thing on cars and then we will move on could talk about this for ages is um that I saw when I was driving behind a car that I didn't know for people that are looking to drive and they're looking for a a gearbox one you can actually hire now dual controlled cars so for learning you know how when you go in your learner car and your learn driving instructor has can press the brake, etc. Yeah, and control the car. You can now hire those dual control cars. So I'm thinking for the future when I eventually teach my children to drive that I'm so going to do that because I I do not like being out of control and it will freak me out my children driving cars. So oh, wow. it'll be peace of mind having having the option to brake when needed. Yeah, so I thought that was quite cool. 
Oh, that's really cool. Yeah. Anyway, right. So, yes, crazy news this week. (laughs) All good. So let's chat about Saffron last week and what we took away from it. Uh, Lorraine, do you want to start? Yeah, um, I really enjoyed this particular podcast because like a lot of others that we've had on, her story really resonated with me. A lot of what she's gone through, I feel I'm going through. Um, It's a lot of same old same old which is annoying that in 2019 we're still hearing these same stories that you can't be autistic because you're a woman Mm. yeah the classic misdiagnosis of bipolar disorder and bpd Mm -hmm. i just it's when all of these stories are coming through and they're all the same why are they all the same why why is this still happening that's what what we need to do and change to stop this from happening Yeah. yeah Because when I went to ask for a diagnosis myself, I was also told I couldn't be autistic because I'm a woman. I couldn't be autistic because I showed empathy. Mm-hmm. And it's just so frustrating. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. What about you, Katie? What did you take out from it? I think there were two things, really. One being lovely and positive and one being awfully negative. The one was I loved how she was talking about daring people not to smile and you get homemade gifts and things like that. I don't know why it, it touched me so much because it was sort of like, oh, that makes the fact that she um, has dedicated lots of areas of her life to making people smile and and giving that sense of warmth and with just yeah. a homemade gift. I thought that was so lovely. I really enjoyed hearing about her passion for her job and making soap and making those uh, handmade cards. It was it was really yeah. lovely. It was just I don't know, very nice and cozy. Um, But the other thing that really struck me, which I was like shocked by, was her um, experience with the benefit system over in Canada. That was just shocking to me. Yeah. And it just. We don't know how lucky we are, do we? No. And it's. But it also did highlight the fact that because when I was on disability benefits, I felt like I was trapped and that I couldn't get out of it. And when she was saying that she just when you get on disability, it's very hard to get off it. I was like, oh, I know that even if it's not the same benefit system here in the UK, we still have that benefit trap. And it was, it brought back a lot of feelings of oh, what is wrong with our, our benefit system in the whole, you know, in both areas in Canada and here. Um, it was shocking to hear her experience in it. Yeah, absolutely. I think the, the, the other thing that she said, which is just a useful tip for people, which hopefully people have picked up if you are going through diagnosis is keeping a diary um it's probably in some ways obvious but easy to forget to do and that allowed her to record everything that was happening and present it and help her case because yeah. it's hard to remember all those little things that have happened months and months ago whereas keeping a regular diary really helped her which is a great tip yeah, yeah. I've got on my notes on my phone like a list mm-hmm. of all my traits and things that I think the, re- the reason why I'm autistic so that when I do eventually go for that appointment I've got it all written down in my notes and every time I notice something else or somebody comments on something I add it to that notes section yeah good idea Mm -hmm. yeah and I guess you could also do that as a dictation too yeah yeah I think it's just it's just that question of oh so um what makes you autistic or what symptoms or traits have you got and I never know how to answer it because I don't look at it that way because it's always been sort of something that I have seen as, as part of me. So I don't pick up that I'm doing things differently to other people or that these are traits. Um, mm-hmm. So I think keep writing them down and really getting to know what you do that may be different to other people, what you'll do that's, aff- that's affecting your life to a large degree can be so helpful. And it can actually make the long waiting 
times if you've got if you're in an area where your uh, diagnosis isn't going to be coming your way in like a year or two years time it can help you to feel like you're working towards something by just taking that into your own hands and writing things down um but it's such a difficult thing to I feel like it's so difficult to sit down with yourself and think what actually makes me autistic (laughs) It's, it's a hard one it's really interesting when you read through what you've written down and you're like oh my gosh like because you've gone through life without realizing that all of these things together combined you you don't notice them on a day-to-day basis but when you look at your list like I've been looking through my list and I'm like oh wow that's my life it's because you don't like you said you don't see them as a combined thing you see them as sort of one-off experiences or one-off little quirks and then you don't put two and two together and think oh actually this could link with this and this is why I do this and that affects this and and that's where you get that oh gosh kind of if any moment it's like I remember when I was in labor with Jamie and the midwife said to me oh Lorraine you've got such a low pain threshold and at the time it was just one little comment but then when I put it down on my list as I've got a low pain threshold Mm. it's a there's a reason for it yeah yeah and there's lo- lots of little things like that that I just keep adding to my list. Yeah, and those things could equally just be, you know, if, if you weren't looking at yourself in this way now, they're just Lorraine. They're just Lorraine's things. It's just yeah. who you are. Mm. Exactly what Katie's saying. It's just, you know, sometimes you've had a bad day. We all have bad days. How's that? Anything yeah. other than... But it's putting all of that together, exactly as you say, creates a, a paints the full picture, doesn't it? Yeah. 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 Well, it's hard to okay. do. Very hard. <laughs> We're going to take a quick break and tell you about this week's offers. We have the Skull and Lanyard offer still running on our website. If you get a green skull and add the code Lanyard to your basket, you'll get a free Chewy Gem Lanyard. That's at www.chewygem.co.uk. Also, go and follow our stories on Instagram and Facebook because we're going to have some special offers running on our page stories. If you need any support, then please feel free to join our Facebook group, the Chewy Gem Sensory Support. Now back to the podcast. Okay, welcome back. Uh, So next, we've chatted a bit about Saffron and the DVLA. Um, The other thing that I wanted to talk about this week, as we do every week, is what have been your sensory matters this week? Katie, do you want to go first? Well, Lorraine and I were actually talking about this. We wanted to bring up, um, because we hadn't spoken about this previously, about uh, the sensory rooms in uh, airports now coming in. Um, Was it Gatwick or Heathrow, Lorraine? Uh, Joel was at Heathrow. No, sorry, Gatwick. Gatwick, yeah. Joel was at Gatwick. Yeah, I think I saw Gatwick in the news this week or online or something. Yeah. Yeah. So it's yeah, really he- exciting. Hopefully it's going to be coming into uh, other large airports, you know, people taking this on board, thinking actually, yeah, air travel is really difficult for a lot of uh, a lot of people, regardless of whether they're autistic or not. So uh, let's bring in a nice sensory room to uh, help calm people and uh, take that stress away. Yeah, yeah, and Joel posted some pictures of when he was in the sensory room this week or last week it was, and it just looked fantastic. Mm. Looks really well done. Yeah. yeah. Good. So um, either of you experienced them? Have you been? No, I haven't been on an aeroplane since I was oh God, probably, probably been about 10, nearly 11 years since I've been on an aeroplane. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah. Enjoy. Yeah, it's, it, it used to be something that I actually really enjoyed. I was the only member of my family who enjoyed flying. Um, every time I, we used to take off, uh, my parents used to 
hate having me on a flight because I would used to go wee and scream. Yeah. <laughs> Amy absolutely loves flying. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's more the actually getting on the plane now that it is the airport that I find intimidating and a bit scary. And Jamie loves the airport. She loves the airport and she loves the flight. Really? That's yeah. brilliant. I like the holiday. <laughs> yeah, I'm with you. The, the traveling bit, the worst bit. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm. Okay, cool. What about you, Lorraine? What about your sensory matter this week? Um, well, this week, my son has been referred for an autism diagnosis. Wow. That's that. To me come out the blue where's that come from so a lot of people say that you might experience autistic traits and where do you decide right I want to get a diagnosis if you can cope with life and you're getting on okay do you really need a diagnosis and that's what I've always gone on with Joe I've always yeah. I always thought he was on the spectrum right. I used to, when he was younger I used to think oh is it learned behavior from Jamie so as time went on I thought yeah he is he is probably autistic, but in primary school, he was fine. And although he's not the most social person, he never really had any issues in school. And that was where my main priority was that if he's getting on fine in school, then it's okay. Mm-hmm. And then he started secondary school um, last year. He's in year eight now. So he's been there for nearly two years and it's just been really hard for him. Right. Uh, so what's been the change? I think it's the the bigger classes, more people from from a little primary school where everybody knows each other. And yeah. like when he was in year six, he's like one of the older kids. And then all of a sudden he's gone into this school where in his year group alone, there's like 250 kids. Wow. Yeah. So oh my gosh. Yeah, it's, and everyone's in the corridors at the same time. Mm. And yeah. Classes are huge and it's just all too much for him and his anxieties. I've just got out of control. Yeah. I think that's really interesting because a lot of people think that or have got the, a lot of people on the spectrum have said that primary school is the hardest for them. Um, And then that's what makes high school difficult because they've got that learnt behaviour and that association with school being difficult. Um, But it all stemmed from primary school. Whereas you said that Joe had a really, you know, seemed to be coping okay. I coped okay in primary school. They're probably my favourite memories. It was that change into high school that hit yeah. me. Joe has been one of them kids that goes to school, is absolutely fine. He still does it now. He goes to school and he's fine at school and then he comes home and he explodes. Yeah. Um, so primary school, I think, yeah, I think primary school was easier. Secondary school is just, there's a lot of work in, in secondary school, a lot less play. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot more pressure yeah so because he's not displaying this at school is this something that you've had to take up and pursue or have the school also noticed stuff well I made an appointment and went in to see school mm-hmm. and whilst he just get basically they agree with me they asked me to to go to the GP and right. get referred for a diagnosis so that they can help him because whilst he gets on well he does all he does everything that's expected of him but he's very quiet he's very timid he, he sits on the outside of every sort of social circle. So he doesn't have his own friends. So they have noticed lots of things and it's causing him so much anxiety that we're starting to get school refusal. So the last two Mondays, I've not been able to get him in until nearly break time. Oh, wow. Um, and then he's having panic attacks at night over certain subjects and it, it, he's just worried he's going to fail at things. Pr- pretty similar to what Jamie's going through at the moment, actually, although they are completely different. Yeah. Mm. Um, yes, yeah, so the school have been fantastic and so helpful. And they're already putting strategies in place, even without a diagnosis. 
Oh, that's really Fantastic. good. Wonderful. Yeah. I wasn't expecting it, to be honest. I thought I'm going to go into school and it's just going to be awful because I've had so many bad experiences before, but no, yeah. they were fantastic. And then we went to the GP and like Katie was saying before, when somebody asks, why do you think you're autistic? It was like, oh gosh, I haven't made a list for Joe. <laughs> so I just like explaining. And she spoke to Joe. She was fantastic. I was expecting again to go to the GP and they'd be like, no, it'll be fine. Go away. Because that's what they did with Jamie. But this GP was fantastic. And she sat down and spoke to him and she said, you do realize that you're still the same person. You just might have some difficulties. And oh, it, was just, it was just great. And it's made me feel so much more relaxed. Oh, that sounds oh, amazing. That's yeah. Yeah, that's really positive. And how's Joe feeling about it? He wants validation for why he's like he is. Right. So I think, yeah. I think if he gets diagnosed, then that'll give him the validation. Yeah. yeah. I was actually thinking about this. I was chatting about um, this on my channel a couple of weeks ago. I was talking about when is that sweet spot when's that best time to be diagnosed because I feel like if you leave it too late you're left with those um mental health problems and like Saffron was saying about her PTSD um coming from um problems of not realizing the reasons why you do things but if you get diagnosed too early could that mean that you are easily discriminated against and you feel left out from an early age like it's a very interesting conversation um I was having over on my channel thinking like oh when is that really good time to get diagnosed? A lot of people were saying like really early teens um, or like between like the ages of like eight and maybe 13, somewhere around by there. So just 13, J- Jamie got diagnosed at seven. We were referred in when she was four. Mm. Wow. Gosh. Uh, but a lot of people, I mean, I've seen people diagnosed at 18 months. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There's a really, really early diagnosis going on. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I always worry when it goes into into the teens, I suppose, like into kind of mid teens, because there's so much else going on at the same time. Yeah. Yeah. You know, that, that you, you naturally question yourself on everything anyway and fight against things and try and figure out who you are and the hormones are firing and then chuck that on top. It just seems to me like a melting pot of brewing mental health issues. So I think my, I, I would agree with what your channel is saying that that kind of earlier sweet spot is is yeah. ideal really yeah I think for me with Joe I could have pursued it last year but I thought it's the first year of secondary he might settle yeah. into it in year eight and that that hasn't happened so now it's let's get this before exam times before the GCSE yeah. start that's actually yeah, quite absolutely. a funny thing because um you just saying that Lorraine made me think because my first year of, of secondary school was was hard but it was the second year that got me and I wonder why that is, you know, you, th- you think the first year being the change and everything's sort of hitting you like, oh gosh, you, you're suddenly this, you're not the biggest in the school anymore. You've got so many people, but it's actually, I think it's that second year. Um, well, the first year is bound to be quite sort of exciting. You probably feel quite grown up that you're going to high school. You feel grown up because you get lunches are different. You maybe get let out at lunchtime occasionally. Yeah. You get a bit more independence. You trying different subjects it's all quite exciting when the second year rolls around and it begins to be the same and you realize the pressures that mount in secondary school maybe that's why yeah yeah and I think then the thought that you've got to be there till you're 18 yeah when you're on it well like well yeah because maybe it's the same uh, this is completely uh random and somewhat depressing thing to say but it's actually very similar with um with grief 
people say the second year of grief is the hardest because people expect you to be okay at that point. The, fir- mm-hmm. the first year is the hardest because everyone's like, oh, you know, I'm so sorry. Is there anything that I can do? Uh, but by the second year, you're actually still the same kind of struggles, but people are not asking you and not supporting you as much because they think you're okay at that point. You've, you've had a year, you should be fine. Um, and people actually experience the second year of grief uh, much harder. Uh, maybe that's sort of a similar thing with with second years of of school. Maybe you all expect each other to be fine at that point, and when you're not, yeah. um, it's really hard. Yeah, exactly what Lorraine's saying. It's the whole well, first year is just first year. It's bedding in, so you should be fine by the second year. Yeah. But if those things and Joe is still displaying, then you know something needs done to support him. And it sounds really positive, Lorraine. I think it sounds great. Yeah, and I don't think he's going to need an education healthcare plan. I don't think he's going to need that kind of support because academically, you know, he's doing fine. Yeah, it's the social and emotional support, and sometimes a bit of time out. Yeah, yeah, it's things for him for him to to feel oh, this is the reason why I do things, for him to feel a little bit more secure in, in himself, really. Yeah. I mean, because school's so different now, he does, they do presentations, you know, in front of the class, in front of the year groups. They're doing so many things that I never did at school. And a lot of this yeah. is really anxiety provoking. Mm-hmm. So one thing he had to do was a presentation in history and he couldn't do it. He just couldn't do it. He, was, he had this panic attack. It was awful. And when I went into school, they're like, that's fine. What we'll do is we'll start him off in a room on his own and build him up so that when he gets to GCSE years, he can do presentations. And I thought that was so nice. Yeah, really good. Really good. So how long do you think it's going to take? I'm not sure. Um, The GP that we saw said that she's not referring him to CAMS because she doesn't rate CAMS. Right. Um, And I thought that was very open and honest of her to say. Yeah. Mm Mm-hmm. So she's referring into the paediatrician. So I'm hoping it's the same paediatrician that we've had since Jamie was referred. And if so, I'm thinking because of family history and things, it might be a quicker process. Yeah, hopefully. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, cool. Um, Right. So last thing to chat about before we finish up is Sarah Aston had sent in a question. And you can, guys, just in our group or on our page if you've got any questions you want us to chat about on the show then please do submit them um, but she's asked what books or websites would we recommend that have helped our understanding of sensory issues Ooh. Ooh. who's I going th- first i think it's got to be youtube you get oh, yeah because you can get everything on youtube you could learn a job on youtube these days mm. you could you can you can learn anything on YouTube. So I think that's my go-to. I'm starting to get into that thing. That if I want to know something, I go to YouTube. Yeah, because I think people are using that more than Google nowadays. Because yeah. uh, you get that visual. Um, and I think that's it. it. For mm. me, that's really important. Yeah. Mm. I'm trying to have a think if there's anything. I don't think I've actually read, because I read quite a lot about um, autism spectrum stuff and especially in females but I don't think I've actually read or seen anything that's just about sensory issues I have to do some digging on that one see yeah. if I can find some I, sensory I books read that, um a highly sensitive child book um that's quite good but it's obviously child related mm. um but yeah I think that's quite good um to give us a plug I think we're pretty good yeah um, I was gonna say so I think we're, we're good <laughs> all our channels and all our, our website and support group and everything that's a good place and our podcast um but yeah that highly sensitive child's good but I even think any any books 
Um, any, any books like, um, what's it called, Odd Girl Out, things like that, they're not specifically um, focusing on sensitive, the sensitive side, the sensory side, but it's threaded throughout all these books. Yeah. And you just pick up so much from reading those as well. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, that's definitely been what I've had in my experience. Of I read loads and loads of books, and it's always woven in in some shape or form. But, yeah, the book isn't explicitly about um sensory things i might go yeah. and have a little hunt and see if i can find any sensory books and maybe pop it on in the sensory support page for people to see i might have a little have a little browse around yeah. amazon for a bit <laughs> yeah, yeah i think idea. just generally in yeah in a lot because i've read a lot of um books about autism or autistic people and it does tend to just be within there um have you read the rosie project <gasps> i really want to read that oh it's so no. good oh it's really Tell good that. What's that one um, so it's he's a professor in genetics at a university mm-hmm. um, and he does this thing called the wife project. I don't want to spoil it too much for you, but basically it doesn't say that he's autistic, but he's blatantly autistic. Um, <laughs> and I just, it's just, it's just a great, a great listen. Cause I listen, I listen to books rather than read them. Um, but yeah, right. it's fantastic. I would definitely recommend the Rosie project, but I just, that got me thinking to some of the sensory issues in there that just in his general daily life. Mm. Okay, interesting. Cool. Okay, anything else to add for this week? I think we've spoken about a lot today. (laughs) Fab. Okay, so next week, I think on the show, we have got Denise Resnick, and um, she is talking about First Place in America, which is an amazing place that um, is set up basically for the autistic and other disability communities to act as a platform to go from various levels of assisted living to being reaching independent living. So I think it's a really good one. Definitely worth a listen next week. And then we three will be back the week after talking about that as well. Um, So that should be interesting. So all that's left to be said is have a wonderful week, everybody. And we will see you or speak to you or you'll listen to us very soon. (laughs) Bye. 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 Well, that's it for this week. And thank you once again for listening. We really do appreciate it. If you've got time and you can spare 30 seconds, then go and give us a five-star review on iTunes. It really helps other people find our content. And we know that our content and our episodes are so helpful to our community with lots of hints and tips and interesting interviews. So go and do your kind deed of the day and leave us a five-star review on iTunes to help others find us. Also, so that you never never miss an episode and you get a notification when a new one is available why not hit subscribe and that way you'll never miss us finally if you're not already a member of our fantastic facebook support group i suggest you go join it we'd love to see you in there there's loads of fantastic chat lots of peer-to-peer support from people in the same boat as you so go and search on facebook for the chewy gem sensory support group and let us know what you're thinking of our episodes speak to you then bye